Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Christ Community features life-giving, verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible. If you would like more information about CCC, you can visit our website at cccspringfield.org. We trust these messages will challenge and encourage you in being a faithful follower of Christ. So Kevin, short our senior pastor, is not here with us today. He uh, is in Cuba, not Cuba, Missouri, Cuba, Cuba. He's actually down on a missions trip uh, with Jason Quartz and with the Filter of Hope ministry down there, taking clean water and the gospel to those folks. So if you think of him, uh, pray for him. Um, he did an interesting thing, though, to me, because last week, if you recall, he dove into the latter part of Romans 1, and if you were here, he, you know, opened up a fairly big topic dealing with, you know, God's wrath being revealed and giving him over to a darkened mind, and then you see immorality, and then eventually he's dealing with homosexuality, and Kevin introduced that and got us all going, then he just said, I'm out of here, and handed the baton to me. There you go, Joel. It's all in your lap now, and so... I was like, well, thank you for that, for that. And then I said, but no, thank you. I'm not going to take on the Romans one today. So anyway, I'll leave that to him. But uh, anyway, it's good to be up here. It's, it's always fun to be here. Um, I have a question to start. How many people here like a good mystery, like movie, mystery novel, mystery TV show? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, a, I mean it's, it's been a genre that's been heavily utilized through the years. I remember as a kid... Uh, watching my mom, she, she loved to read Agatha Christie novels. So she had read a bunch of those novels. Actually, Agatha Christie ended up writing 33 novels, 51 short stories, all in that same genre of this mystery uh, story with Hercule Perrault as her main character, the, the detective who cracks the case. And then, of course, you got other greats like Sherlock Holmes, you know, another awesome one. Then, but I also remember the, the 80s, in the early 90s, big hit, Murder, She Wrote. I mean, that's, that's a classic, too. <laughs> uh, that, but, you know, you can laugh about Murder, She Wrote, but 264 uh, episodes, so they really cashed in on that one as well. But anyway, the premise behind most of these novels and movies, TV shows, is typically some sort of a crime that has been committed uh, and yet the details about the perpetrator are, are unknown, uh, and the motives and all these things. And so, hence the idea of a great mystery. But by the end of the story, the detective, after all much suspense and trying to figure it out and looking for every little clue they can find, they eventually crack the case, pin the perpetrator, walk us through all the nuances of how it all worked out, how they figured it all out. And, it's, and you're at the edge of your seat by the time you get to that point. Uh, and they, they, all the things that were previously unknown are now revealed. And, and it's an incredibly, you know, cool genre. I mean, we like these things. It's one that has captivated millions, if not billions, if you were to look across the annals of time. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, it's been heavily monetized by many a writer, many a director, uh, so it's, it's, it, it, it moves us. So the reality is, though, there are many mysteries, not just murder mysteries or crime mysteries. Perhaps you are the type that prefers different mysteries or wonders, such as questions about aliens or extraterrestrial life or black holes or event horizons or the incredible wonders of the universe, that, some of which we can see and they've been revealed in some way, shape, or form, and others we have many, many questions about and they're not revealed. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search a matter out. And this sort of touches on one thing I wanted to dive into this morning, and that is the mysteries of God. You know, I don't know about you, but when I just, even the name, Mysteries of God, I get excited. I get excited about the topic because I love pondering and thinking about our incredible God. What is he like? Who, what, what's he going to do? What has he done in the past? What about his creation? How does he interact with his creation when he calls in the dawn and the springtime arrives? 
his plans, his love, his riches, his, his structures that he's formed, uh, his authorities, his, his sovereignty, his, his return one day. And the way I see it, there are things that, that he has revealed and things that he has concealed. Uh, and we'll talk more about that as we dive into this. And in reality, is how we handle the mysteries of God. I believe it impacts who we are, how we view ourselves, how we view God. And, and I really think in some cases, how we handle these mysteries can sometimes form the dividing lines between whole denominations that go quite different directions. Um, so, it also, I believe, impacts our legacy, who we are and how the people around us see us even after we're gone. So I hope today, we're, by looking at just a few of his mysteries, I mean, the, the, the whole book is chocked full of them, so we don't have a time to go through all of them by any means. But we're going to do some high, high you know, flybys over some of them and take a look, but I hope that we will be moved we will be in awe of these, of these mysteries. We will desire to understand more. We will desire to understand what he has revealed and what he has given to us, both in his word and in the created world around us. I'm going to pray. Lord, we just pray and come before you. We ask that you'll open the eyes of our hearts. We were singing this morning that you would open our eyes to these wonders and things, and we just pray that you would open our eyes to these awesome mysteries in your scriptures, that we would have a refound awe of you, that we would be moved to draw near to you, to let you reveal things to us, both collectively as a group, but also individually, one-on-one, -on -one, as you work in and through us. We pray that you will meet with us and, and use your spirit to convict and guide and teach us this morning. We call upon you to do that. In your great name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in the New Testament, <clears throat> we find a word, mysterion. It's translated mystery or mysteries. Um, and it occurs 27 times in the New Testament. Paul particularly liked this word. He used it 21 of those 27 times in his epistles. And I like this one that I wanted to lead out with. Speaking of himself and his fellow apostles, he says in his letter to Corinth in 4.1, 1 Corinthians, let a man regard us, the apostles, in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now that Greek word here for steward is a cool one. It's one who manages, who dispenses, who administers out or deals out something that has been given to him or her. It's translated elsewhere in Romans 16 as a city treasurer, dealing out money and dealing with money. Uh, and so Paul is saying that he and his fellow apostles have been given something to dispense, to administer out. And here he says that he is dispensing the very mysteries of God, an incredible thing to consider. Now the other word I want us to home in on after the word steward is to see the mysteries of God. What is the idea behind this mysterion word? Well, the idea in general is something that is secret or hidden. The root word for mysterion means to cover the eyes or cover the mouth. So mysterion can be used of a hidden thing, a hidden counsel, a hidden plan, a hidden will, an unrevealed teaching. But I also want us to look at how it's used in the scriptures, how God employed this word through his, his spirit-filled apostles and those that are writing these, these first century letters to the churches. We can glean a lot about how he wanted to reference and use mysterium, this idea of God's mysteries. So I'm going to put three passages up here just for us to sort of glean some high-level aspects about this word and how he used it. We'll go back and look at some of the content of these passages in a second. Ephesians 3.3 3 says that, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, then when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed 
to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. He goes on in verse 9, still talking about this mystery. The mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Colossians 1.26, speaking about a different mystery. He says, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed, chose and willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And then in Romans 16, another use where Paul uses it, speaking yet again about a different mystery, the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Now again, we'll dive back into a few of these in a second, but I want us to just sort of take away some high-level uh, foundational truths about how God likes to use this mystery term. First off, God's mysteries, we can glean from these passages, they go way back. Many times they go way back in the annals of time. Long before you and I came into existence. Notice that in all three of these verses, we see Paul, when speaking about different mysteries, or mysterions, gives us a glimpse into the span that we're dealing with when we approach these mysteries. In Ephesians 3, we see that that particular mystery spanned many generations in verse 5, and it spanned ages in verse 9. In Colossians 1, we see that the mystery also, he says, was kept secret for long ages past, exact same word as he used in Ephesians. And in Romans 16, we see the similar picture where he says the, the mystery that spanned from long ages past. Now, the word for ages, just so you get a, a, a good view of this here, that Paul chose to use in Ephesians and Colossians is a word commonly, most commonly translated forever. Some, and sometimes it's translated eternal or eternity. And in one case, you might remember when the blind guy get, gets to see Jesus allows a guy, he opens his eyes, he goes back to the council, and he uses the same word in John 9, 30, and he said, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. So that's that use of that word for ages. So you could go back then to Ephesians and Colossians, and you could say, Paul's conveying that those particular mysteries had been hidden forever, or for eternity past, or you could say since the beginning of time. That's the magnitude of how big some of these mysteries have been hidden. But I also want you to see a second thing that's in all three of these cases. Do you notice that God likes revealing his mysteries when he deems it time to reveal it? In all three of these passages, a particular mystery or mysterion was previously unrevealed, and he makes that very clear, but has now been revealed. This is actually the normative use case for this word mysterion. I went through, you know, nowadays with our phones and our computers, just right-click, mysterion, 27 uses, go read them all, and you start asking the question, was it revealed there? Yes, was it the next, go to the next verse? Was that revealed? Yes, it is revealed. Was it revealed? Oh, partially revealed. So in every case it's used, you see the reality is many times it's either revealed or at least being revealed or partially revealed. Uh, so that's the normative use of that word uh, in the New Testament. But a third thing I want you to catch in these three verses, if, if you haven't al already caught it, is that many times God's mysteries and their respective revealings have a target audience. There's someone that he wants to reveal it to. Uh, in Ephesians, we see it, he says, this mystery has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. In Colossians, we see that the, the mystery has now been manifested to his saints. In Romans 16, we see that mystery, talking about the gospel, has been made known to all the nations. That one's a very broad revealing. Now, Paul, as I mentioned, used this word 21 of the 27 times in the New Testament. Jesus employed it once about a very significant topic. And we'll look at this one, this topic, a little later. But I just want to 
use his statement here to show you the target audience idea when he's talking about God, the mysteries of God's kingdom. Uh, in Matthew 13, we find this story. Jesus leaves the house, it says. He goes out by the sea, and he's sitting there. The people are around him, and he begins to teach. And he starts teaching first with the parable of the sower. And then all of a sudden, you have this narrative unfold where the disciples say, hold on a second. They, they go over and they say, why all of a sudden have we started teaching in parables? You've not, this is the first time he's ever taught a parable. He's never been teaching in parables before. He's always been teaching very clear, plain language. And now it's like, well, now we're getting this sort of word picture, which I'm not sure what exactly it means. What does that mean? And there's like, why parables? And we pick this up in 13.10. They say, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them and said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. The same idea is repeated in all the synoptics in Luke 8 and Mark 4. And even in those cases, he likes to go back and quote Isaiah and Old Testament prophets. Hey, this has been... Don't be surprised by this. And they'll open the eyes of some others. They'll have no, no ears to hear. Uh, so these parables are meant to hide the truth to some and reveal it to others. And in this case, he's dealing with revealing the mysteries of God's incredible kingdom. So those are three fundamental realities about the mysteries as used in the New Testament. This mysterious. God's mysteries go way back. He likes revealing his mysteries in his timing and he likes to go to specific individuals or groups, and, and he has a target audience in mind as he reveals these things. So we have that sort of behind us. Let's look a little at the content of some of these mysteries. Again, we're going to do a, a 30,000-foot flyby. I'm, I'm hopefully, you'll be challenged to go back and say, I want to know more about that mystery. I want to go study that one more. But I'm just going to do a 30,000-foot flyby. Look at the content of some of these mysteries and think through them a little bit. Let's go back to the Colossians 1, 26 and 27 mystery. He says, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery he's talking about. Christ in you and the hope of a future glorification. This mystery is an amazing mysterion that was revealed. Christ dwelling in us and making his abode in us. You know, you think back and you go back to right before Jesus went to the cross, and he's having this intimate conversation with his disciples near the end of the book of John. Lots of words he's talking about what's going to happen. He's going to go, different things. And he gets down, he wants to introduce them to the concept that if I don't go, the helper's not going to come. And he's talking about the Spirit, right? And he gets down and he says, uh, he's, he's gonna, uh, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Do you get that? I in you. He's, he's told them ahead of time, this will happen in that day. Now this raised questions. Judas, not Iscariot, the other one, the good one, the Jude. He says to him, Lord, what, what then has happened that you are going to disclose or reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. These are things Jesus is saying, these things will happen. Now, by the time you get over to Colossians, Paul's saying, it has happened. That mystery has occurred. He has come, and he's now indwelling us. This is an incredible one, a mystery that when we talk about how do these things impact our lives, well, that mystery, I hope, you realize impacts our lives. What do we do with our bodies? It is the temple of the Lord. What do we do with our minds? What are we setting our minds on? How do we live using our spiritual gifts here on the earth? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's look at Ephesians. Go back to the Ephesians passage. 
By referring to this, Paul says, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific about this mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now this mystery he homes in on, he calls this one the mystery of Christ in verse 4. Then in verse 6, he focuses on a key reality of this particular mystery, namely that the Gentiles now are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of Christ. The same Greek word three times. If you want to, he's, they are partakers. They are partakers. They are partakers. You say, how, why is this a mystery? What was the deal? Well, up until the New Testament church, even when Christ first came, remember what he told them? Whatever you do, don't go to the, 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 the Samaritans. Don't go to any house of the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The door had to open later as the, as the, the Lord moved at the right time to open up and reveal this very mystery. That in the ages past, it was always, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israelite, Israelite, Israelite. But now, the door opening, and he said, this is an incredible reality. You say, well, how does that mystery impact us? Well, I'm a Gentile. I'm not in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a blood, blood way. In a spiritual sense, yeah, I believe like Abraham believed. But I'm a Gentile. This mystery these three fellow partakers, that's a huge reality that we should see. And this one, I love to go even a little further with this one because he goes on, he says, in 3.9, to bring to light what is the administration, same word for the stewardship, the divvying out, what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, same context, same mystery he's talking about that we just looked at with the Gentiles, that have been hidden in God who created all things so that there's a reason why God's revealing this, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says this specific and particular mystery, the mystery of Christ, where the door opening to the Gentiles, in which now I believe billions of Gentiles have come in, was previously hidden, but now has been brought to light. And it, what has it shown? It has shown forth the multifaceted, variegated, manifold wisdom of God. And he's doing it through the church demonstrating his incredible wisdom by revealing this mystery and opening the door through the church to the angelic realm. We are part of the revealing of God's incredible wisdom in his variegated ways to say, look what he's able to do and bring in the Gentile and the church has grown and I believe the angels are witness to watching all of this unfold, going all the way back to the garden, coming all the way through Israel, and then the door opening to the Gentiles, and here, here we sit today with billions of Gentiles, and the angels have watched the whole story unfold. And he says this is in accordance with what he calls the eternal purpose. Have you ever wondered, does God have any big plans here? Is there a big plan? Is there some central goal or purpose in all of this? Paul seemed to think there was. He calls it here the eternal purpose, obviously carried out through Christ Jesus. So, moving on, let's go to another mystery. This one's a bit related to the whole idea of opening the door to the Gentiles, so let's look at this one. Romans eleven twenty-five, 25, probably about two years before Kevin actually gets to Romans eleven twenty-five, but nonetheless, we'll, 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 we'll cut the chase and just jump there now. So, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, here's the mystery, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This mysterion is revealed here in Romans 11, indicates that there is a partial 
hardening of Israel while the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Now, how you handle these mysteries is a big deal. This one's another one. I've, I've seen some that teach Israel's done, they're gone, they've been replaced. I'm like, well, that's not handling the mystery very well. At least not how I see it, how he's revealed it. Because Romans, in the exact same context, he says, well, speaking to these Gentiles, do not be arrogant toward the branches, speaking of Israel. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root, I mean, God, he supports you. He goes on and says, look, if he cut some of them off, doesn't mean he couldn't do it again to you. Romans eleven twenty three, same context. And they also, speaking about Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief, meaning that if they turn and believe, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. It's not a lost cause for them. He's going to, it'll, it'll turn around. There'll be a remnant there that turns. So be careful as Gentiles and you look out understand this particular mystery. Let's go to another mystery. We touched on this one earlier. I'm going to jump back to the mysteries of the kingdom. I love these, these, this particular story. Jesus dove in. He said, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. To them it is not. Well, what does he then go on and do? He gives six back-to-back-to-back-to-back parables all about one central topic, the mysteries of the kingdom. Do you ever wonder a little bit about the kingdom of God? You hear a lot of things. I've heard a lot of different teachings about the kingdom of God. What is it today? What will it be? What, how does it function? What are you supposed to do? Should we go to overtake the government now? You know, there's a lot of different things you hear about the kingdom. Well, my friends, it pay, it's good to pay attention to how he revealed the truths in these parables. So, Matthew 13, 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and then they went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore, bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves in the land, of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, oh, okay, do you want us to go then and gather up the tares? Get them out of there? But he says, no, no, no. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. We, fortunately, are given a little bit of a key on this particular parable and the mystery herein. The one who sows the good seed, Jesus interprets and says, that's me, the son of man. The field which the man owns is the world. It's part of this view of the kingdom. The good seed the, that's the wheat. Those are the sons of the kingdom. The tares, he says, are the sons of the evil one. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. And so he goes on and he concludes his interpretation. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And he uses the same view when he teaches the dragnet parable. So he, all six parables are bookended by the same two views. Remember the dragnet one where they cast the net out? pull in, they find good fish and bad fish, talking about the kingdom. He's going to take the bad fish, throw them out at the end of the age, remember? That's the view that you have in these parables. Uh, and you look at this, and, and they're profound for us to understand as you go back and say, what is it that makes up God's kingdom today? I've heard a lot of stuff taught on it, and handling this mystery it well is critical. 
Because we shouldn't be surprised at what we see when we have false teachers, false elements, things that need to ultimately one day be dealt with in the kingdom. Whereas some teach, well, no, 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 the kingdom's going to get better and better and better and better until it's totally perfect, and then Jesus will come then. Was that the view that you just heard in these things? Doesn't sound like to me. And those are the kinds of things we have to be careful when we deal with these mysteries. There are profound truths, some of which can go a lot of different directions if we don't handle them well. There are a lot of mysteries in the scriptures. The mystery of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a twinkling of an eye, speaking of the resurrection at the last trumpet. Then there's the mystery of Christ and his church. Remember this one in Ephesians 5.32, likened to marriage, talking about a husband and wife, and he says, this mystery is great, but what I'm really speaking with is in reference to Christ and the church. That's an an incredible reality to go pour into and look at. There's the mystery of the gospel in Ephesians 16. He says, Paul says, pray for me that I may give an utterance to speak with boldness the mystery of the gospel. The good news, that's that's something that all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when we fell, mankind fell, and you're waiting for the good news of our salvation, that this mystery's gone on, and now he wants boldness to proclaim that mystery. There's the mystery of God's will. Sometimes we wonder, what is God's will here? What is God's will there? What is God's will over here? Well, in in the case of Ephesians 1.9, the will regarding our salvation and our justification Paul says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. There's the mystery of godliness referred to in 1 Timothy 3. There's the mystery of lawlessness talked about in 2 Thessalonians 2. The mystery of the seven stars in the hand of Christ, which are the messengers sent out amongst the churches. There's the mystery of the Babylon the Great. Remember in, in Revelation 16 and 17. Unfortunately, there he gives us some interpretation. Otherwise, And some of these mysteries still today, people debate and debate. Well, what do you think about? What, what is Babylon? Is it Babylon? Is it so-and-so? Is it the United States? Is it something? There's all these different theories of what people think. But there, there are these mysteries, some of which he's revealed pieces to us. So my friends, God is in the business of concealing matters at times. Until he, and then revealing it when he deems it necessary. Reality is, as I mentioned at the very beginning, I view this entire book from the very first page until the very last page as his choice to reveal his truths to mankind in a stepped and gradual way, going all the way back to the very beginning when he spoke to the serpent, oh, there's one that'll come from her that's going to be the head crusher. Oh, a little bit of the mystery starting to be revealed. There's a head crusher coming from the seed of the woman. And then it sort of develops. Remember this meta-narrative view? And then you get down and finally Christ arrives. These are massive things that the whole book covers. And even his creation is a mechanism for him to reveal his incredible attributes and his mysteries to us. Consider for just a moment our solar system. We sit with this centralized sun. We have this really cool little orbiting body sitting here, spinning around us that we know God set up. A solar eclipse is an incredible thing. And if you're an astronomer or you want to go out and read a little bit about what they've learned by the reality of having this geometry work out this way, it's incredible. They, they love these things. We got one coming up in April. It will cross the state of Missouri. You can go and watch it. I don't suggest doing it, you know, without some eye protection. But nonetheless, you can go see this thing. But the reason they love it is that countless discoveries have been made because the the, the distances here, the distance from the earth to the moon, the moon to the sun, is just such that we will have a nice spot right in this full shadow umbra area where when we look with with our fancy equipment, It will block the sun perfectly, but reveal the corona, the outer layer of the sun. Whole elements have been discovered because of this, by the way. I think it was called solar helium was discovered by a scientist because of the fact, by studying a solar eclipse. You say, is it just accident that we happen to have this small body here and we're here and the sun and that we can perfectly cover it so we can study that? I don't think it's an accident. 
I think he wanted to reveal some things to mankind so that his invisible attributes could be clearly seen through what has been made. What about Edwin Hubble? Do you remember, you ever heard of the, the Hubble telescope? Famous astronomer in the U.S. back sort of 1930s, 40s. Well, he was a guy that every evening would get out with this huge telescope and look into the deep space as far as he could see. And he began to see all these other galaxies like the Milky Way. And he was fascinated by it. And it wasn't until much later that NASA sent out Voyager 1 way, as a probe way out to the edges of the, our solar system. And then it turned back and it took a photo, February, uh, February of 1990. And it had a photo with this little beam of light coming out and there a little white speck in that beam of light. And they started studying that. What is that so far away? And they realized, that's the Earth. And it's sitting in this perfect area within the Milky Way and, and such that we can actually see out well so that people like Edwin Hubble could look out and see galaxy after galaxy after star after star. Didn't have to be that way. If we were in a different spot within our, within our galaxy, obstructed view, couldn't see what you wanted to see. But in this case, God opens the door to reveal. I think he does these things on purpose. He likes to reveal these things. So you say, how do these things and these mysteries impact us today? Well, Number one, we should be in awe of his mysteries. I hope a little something in here sort of stokes some awe as we read about God's incredible mysteries. Learn what he has revealed. When we stop and consider these things, it, it makes a difference. There are massive mysteries that have spanned ages past, some of which have been revealed to us if we'll pour into them. I don't believe you'll get a good understanding of these mysteries, and I don't want to have you take this the wrong way, if, if all you do is have your phone app give you a verse a day, totally fine to get a verse a day, but I'm here to tell you that these mysteries, no mystery of an antiquity is solved by just haphazardly going, oh yeah, there's one of the clues, I'm going on, Tomorrow, oh yeah, there's another little tidbit, you, You've got to dive into this stuff. You've got to be willing to pour in to try to understand what is God conveying? What is he doing over here? Why is he doing this? And as you do, as you draw near to him, he draws near to us and teaches us. A second thing I want us to understand is that there are still areas that I believe God has not fully revealed. And this turns our attention in a whole different direction, but one that I wanted to make sure I covered. Because this aspect of God's mysteries should humble us. Yes, God has revealed much. But there are areas where he hasn't revealed everything. And there are huge questions that I still have, you still have, that we like to ponder, things that we think of. Have you ever grappled with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man to believe? Have you ever grappled with the omniscience of God, his plan and his will, and yet the free will of man and angels? Have you ever grappled with the idea of one, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God and yet three distinct persons? Have you ever grappled with the eschatological plan and the sequence of God's return, the rapture, the remnant of Israel restored, the resurrections, these different passages? Hopefully you grapple with these. These are the kinds of big picture questions. They're awesome to sit and think about. And here's the deal. God's given us truths on every one of these questions. But I believe there are areas where he's left a little bit of mystery in there. He hasn't revealed everything. Remember in Revelation, the seven claps of thunder that he said, John, don't write those down. Do you remember that? I've always loved that story. I've, I've read commentaries where they try to figure out what the seven claps of thunder said. And you're like, why? Why are we debating when God says, don't write it down? It's not for them to know. But the whole point about that little story in Revelation is that there are parts of the story I have not revealed yet. And it's good for us to be healthy and say and humble ourselves that there are big aspects here, that some of which I don't know. 
And I remember having discussion. You've probably had discussions with folks. I remember having a breakfast with a guy at church. And we really got into it on one of these big questions. And we're going out. And then you eventually have to step back. So there are areas that I just can't fully answer all of these different things. Where there's a truth A presented in the Bible and a truth B presented in the Bible and a truth C. And then you're like, well, how do we connect the dots? And th these are areas where God has left a mystery at times. And yet this is where man loves to step in. We love to step in and we try to speculate and figure it out. And that's what, that's what I was talking about, denominational lines. That's one area where man comes along and creates constructs. Oh, I figure out how the sovereignty of God and the man's belief and predestination, all these things. I figure out how all that works and we create a construct and then a whole denomination gets behind that. And we have to be careful with that. I think the, a good thing to, to, to sort of ground us here is the book of Job, the study of Job. You remember Job? It's two chapters telling you what really happened behind the scenes in the story of Job. It tells you why Job suffered, why he lost everything. You, you get to know it by reading the first two chapters. But then what you get is 36 chapters of man trying to fill in and answer the question of the mystery as to why is Job going through all this stuff. Do you remember this? And then I love at the last chapters of the book, finally God speaks up. He sort of had enough. And he speaks up, and he speaks to Job. I'm not going to read all this because it's a huge, but I challenge you here today, if you have time, go home and read the last five chapters of Job. It's incredible. Job 38.1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will speak to you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered into the spring of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Is it by your understanding, Job, that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? And he goes on and he goes on, question after question, just pounding Job. And then the Lord said to Job, 40 verse 1, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Give me an answer, Job. Speak up. Remember what Job did then? Job took his mouth, he took his hand, he covered his mouth, he said, I have no answer. I can't answer that. God said, okay, let's go a little longer with this. Let's keep, let's keep it up. I want to get you to, well, you can give me an answer, Job. So he goes on and God talks about Leviathan and Behemoth and all these ancient creatures of antiquity. Job, would, could you ever fight that guy? You, you'll learn the battle. You know, you, you remember all this stuff. And then you get in 40 verse 6, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, now gird up your loins like a man and I will ask you and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified, Job? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? And Job, then he did answer the Lord. And he said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can ever be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Me. Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, God, and I will speak. I will speak now. 
And I will ask you. And you will instruct me. That's the way I want it, God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Man, man gave it their best attempt at speculating and trying to answer the question and the mysteries of Job's afflictions. Man always loves to try to answer all those questions. But in the end, Job learned that only one was found who knew the answers. And that was the Almighty God. Was it rude for God to ask Job so directly? I don't think so. He moved Job right to the place he wanted him to be. To where he did answer. And when he did answer, what was the equation? I want to hear from you, not the other way around. I'm not going to speak on matters that I have no clue about. And they're countless. How many of these questions? Like, no, Job, no, Job, no, you weren't there. No, you don't know that one. No, you don't know it. And guess what? It's still true. God could ask us all the same questions he asked Job. And we would be sitting there, and it's, it's a beautiful position to come to, to say, Lord, there are great mysteries, questions that I have. Can you instruct me? Can you teach me? Let me not be arrogant in my thought that I think, oh, I've figured it out. Let me hear from you, Lord. As we close, I wanted to go back to something I mentioned earlier about knowing that or thinking through the idea how you handle God's mysteries. It impacts your legacy, I believe. When you pick up the scriptures and if you're moved to diligently study out these mysteries, and you take your life and say, I want to be a steward of these mysteries, to dole them out to people around me, my family, my kids, my parents, and those around me, your life will have a profound impact. I grew up in a family that, that has, fortunately was impacted in a positive way by the generations before. Both of my grandmas studied God's Word. I was asked last week in the launch or newcomers class about, about mentors, and I mentored my grandma, my dad's mom. If I had her Bible with me today, my dad has it. It's chalked every page with notes all over it. She believed in every page and every word that was written in God's Word. And she attended a church that was unique, unlike I'd ever been to, because I was a little kid. I'd go spend the night over there, and I'd go, go with her. And you know what? It was unlike anything I've seen today, because I, mean, I remember walking in there. I was a kid, so I didn't really, it was just, I was just there to color and do some other things. But nonetheless, it was set up like a college classroom. They each had college desks. They would get out, they would have notebooks. They'd take it out and they would study this stuff. And the, the pastor was a guy from Dallas Theological Seminary. They had a master's or PhD in Greek and Hebrew. And he would pour into this stuff so that they tried to glean and dive deep to understand these mysteries. And that love of the word passed on to my dad and my mom. And my dad and my mom, they would raise us. We would, they would try their best to bring the word, bring God, bring him into everything we did. We went out fishing. Let's ask God, where should we go today? Where are we going to fish for? How should we do? We're out hunting. Let's praise the Lord for this. Let's ask, what are, what are we going to do about this house? Well, let's talk to the Lord. What about that bully that Joel faced in ninth grade? Let's talk to the Lord about it. Let's turn to him at every turn. And when we approach these huge mysteries, the grand questions of life, where are we going? What are we doing? When's he going to come back? What's it going to look like? What about the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, rapture? All these different things. They would pour into it. Now, I'm gonna, I'd be lying if I'm telling you that as a kid, I'm just sitting here like a perfect student. That wasn't the case. I was just like any other kid. I wanted to go out and have some fun, play with my matchbox cars, eventually work on my car, take my girlfriend on a date. I mean, those are the things I'm thinking about. But what I'm saying is little by little, if you grow up in that kind of environment that values and wants to find out these mysteries and pours in them, people will be affected. And little by little, I noticed I was always talking to my brother, well, what does my dad say about that? What does my mom, what does she think? And I know that when he's gone, I'll say to my brother and my, my wife, my dad always thought this about that passage. My dad always taught that about this thing. Now, was he right on everything? Probably not. 
None of us are on everything, but at least he knows there's a value in it. That's a legacy to leave behind. You may be sitting here today, Joel, it's too late. Kids are growing. I can't do it. You can start today. You can pick up his word. You can start pouring into it. You can pick up, call someone and say, hey, I want to do a study of the kingdom. Let's, let's read the kingdom parables. I want to study that mystery so I can know, not just listen to some other book about it, but I want to know what God's word says about the kingdom mysteries. So I'll be ready and watchful and waiting, ready when the master returns. In the final chapter, the mystery of God will come to an end, one of the big ones at least. Revelation 10 says, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, he lifted up his right hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that there will be delay no longer, he says. But in the days of the voice of the seventh and final angel sounding his trumpet, when he is about to sound, get this, then the mystery of God is finished. And if you go and look at when that angel sounds in Revelation 11, it says, then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices from heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell to their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your power, great power, and have begun to reign. The mystery of God will be finished in the days and the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can pick up the baton and take up these mysteries, mysteries many of which have been revealed in great detail, some of which have been revealed in some detail and other mysteries we still wait. Lord, let us have the right hearts to approach you and your, your word with humility. Let us have a hearts that, that want to have an awe of you and your word that we want to pour into it to know it. And may there come a day when they look at us and they look at Christ Community Church and say, that church, they, they believe this and they believe that and they poured into that. And Lord, may our kids and our families around us say, hey, my dad thought that and my mom, she always preached this and she poured into that. Lord, what we do with your great and awesome mysteries, it matters. And as we walk on this earth and we see awesome things in your creation, Lord, and as you come intimately and reveal little things, I, I'm convinced, Lord, you, in, you reveal individual things at times too. Hey, Joel, look right over here. Just a one-on-one -on -one reveal. Lord, you do awesome things. Help us to be in awe of your mysteries as we walk out of here and challenge to dive into your word in such a way that it will impact both ourselves and others around us that we too, like Paul, could be stewards of the mysteries of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope today's message gives you encouragement and hope. If you would like more information about the church, you can go to cccspringfield.org.